so as it was uh, mentioned advertised yesterday by Ines tonight today this afternoon I will be uh, talking about cultivation the uh, the other side of the coin of letting go and uh, and I really enjoyed and appreciated Inez's talk on letting go and and um, and just the necessity of letting go with the cultivation that the two of them are really intertwined. And as I was reflecting on what what Inez was sharing beautifully, um, two similes came up for me uh, with the relationship of uh, cultivation and letting go. One is that in order to, um, you, you need to actually cultivate some wholesome qualities in order for you to be able to let go. So there is a need for cultivation in order to let go. And also you need to let go in order to be able to cultivate. So they're dependent on each other. So the two simile for the first one is, you know, suppose you have a cloth, a piece of cloth that's dirty and, and um, you can't hammer out the dirt, right? If you, if you think, think of letting go, you can't, you can't just hammer it out. You need to soak, soak it in warm water, that the water that's, you know, ap- appropriately warm at the right temperature, pour in some soap. So there is some right conditions that are needed some cultivation condition that is needed for the dirt, you know, to come out, to be let go of from the cloth. You see where I'm going with this? Yeah. So some condition, some cultivation is needed in order to let go of, of, the, of the dirt in your mind. Well, it's an interesting simile, but anyway, I wasn't quite sure I was going to go that with there. Maybe I'll come back to that. Um, but the other way, the other that, that you actually also need to let go to make space for cultivating goodness, wholesomeness, is that's like having a cup of tea that has cold, stale tea in it. It's kind of hard to put fresh, warm, comforting, wholesome tea in that until you empty the cup until you let go of what does not serve you anymore and then to fill it with fresh cup. So, so really letting go, letting go of what's not, what's not useful, what doesn't serve you anymore, clinging, hanging on to habits of mind, um, habits of the body that are not really helpful, supportive for you or others that the letting go, um, is intertwined with the cultivation. They really both go together. They need each other. So I'd like, I'd like to organize my talk in, in the way of why, what, and how of cultivation. Why do we want to cultivate? What is it that we want to cultivate and aspire to cultivating in this practice. And then how do we go about cultivating? So with the why, 
it's, I think it's important always to start with the why. Whatever we do, to start with the why. Why the heck? Why? Why are we here? Why are you here? Why are you doing this? You could be doing so many other things for these four days. You, cho- you chose to be here. There is a reason. And that why really ties into what is your intention? What is your intention for your life? What is your highest intention for your life? Who do you want to be in this world? How do you want to show up? What kind of imprint do you want to leave on others in the world? What kind of legacy do you want to leave? And many people say your legacy is actually how you live your life is your legacy, how you affect others. It's not naming a building after you or whatever, if you're that, if you have the means, but really how you live your life, how you affect others. And how do you want to spend your one and only precious life? Why? That's the why. So with that, I actually like to invite you to to reflect take, for us as a community to just to take a few moments to really reflect on that. So I'm going to invite you to, wherever you're sitting, get into a kind of meditative pose for a moment. Allowing your back to be straight, your body to be relaxed. Ah, maybe taking a couple of deep breaths and settling into the body. And imagine, actually, this is a little bit of a guided visualization, which I like. So let's do go on this uh, journey together. So. So imagine that you're in a field. It's a beautiful sunny day, bright. It's a green field, sunny. Ah, there's a sense of ease in being in nature, being outdoors. Spaciousness. There are trees, flowers, Just a sense of spaciousness and ease. I'd like you to imagine you're walking in this green field, just not a care in the world, and you come up to a well. There is a well. It's a deep well with water in it. And there is a rock by the well. You bend down, you pick up the rock, holding it, feeling it, feeling its smoothness or roughness, feeling its heaviness, just holding it in your hand. Just imagine as if you're actually feeling holding the rock in your hand. And now imagine you whisper the question into the rock. 
The question being, what is my highest intention in this life? Who do I want to be? How do I want to show up in this world? How do I want to live my legacy, my life, this being that is me? How do I want to develop? How do I want to cultivate? And whisper the question of your highest intention into the rock. Then reach your hand in this visualization and drop the rock into the well and listen listen as the rock hits the water listen as to what bubbles up what answers bubble up from the depths and keep listening more and more let yourself be surprised And keep listening as the rock holding the question keeps moving down, further down. Maybe more answers bubble up, more sounds. Maybe nothing, maybe something. Just be open. And as the rock touches the bottom of the well, maybe something else, something surprising comes up. Listen for that. And if nothing, that's okay too. And whenever you're ready, you can open your eyes. So whatever came up for you, or whatever, or maybe nothing, it's okay. If something did come up for you, something clarifying that perhaps maybe surprised you, remember that. Maybe write that down later. When the times are tough, especially in practice, remembering your intention is a wonderful practice of bringing you back, of stabilizing, of keeping you on the path, keeping you on the path of cultivation, cultivating goodness to continue, to continue, to keep going, keep going. That's why, that's why you're here. That's why you're doing this. So you've hung, hung in there. Hasn't been easy the past couple of days. Hasn't been you know, smooth going every moment. And you're still here, you've hung in there because of your intention.
So with the why, with the why of practice, why you're doing this, why your intention, remembering that, honoring that always, maybe even there, maybe reminding yourself of that at the beginning of every day or every sit, maybe touching into your intention ever so lightly, ever so lightly touching into your intention. It's actually a beautiful practice. And the what? So what is it? What are some of the things that we cultivate through this practice? Both cultivate through letting go and letting go to cultivate. So briefly, it could be summarized as as letting go and seeing the unwholesome roots, what's translated as unwholesome in the Pali, it's akusala, and to cultivate what's wholesome. So it's a, it's a short list, and I have a longer longer list, which I'll share with you in the rest of the talk. So the short one, for those of you who, who probably have heard this before, is greed, hatred, and delusion. Those are the, the basic roots. Those are um, greed and hatred and delusion. So greed is not just greed as you hear, you know, here on Wall Street, and but any type of clinging, wanting more of on um, not clear seeing when there's wanting, kind of like the, the craving of wanting, the craving of wanting, wanting more. That is, that is greed. And hatred is really the movement of the mind that pushes away, doesn't want. Oh, don't want, don't want. And also it can show up as hatred towards other people or towards yourself or, or pushing you away conditions. Greed, hatred. And delusion, um, I think a more um, friendly translation is ignorance. Ignorance is not knowing any better. Like if you knew better, you wouldn't do the things you do, right? So ignorance is the root of both greed and hatred. So wherever hatred and greed are present, ignorance is also present. So again, best way to understand that is not knowing any better. If you knew any better, you wouldn't crave things that are not good for you, right? You would, if, if you knew any better, you wouldn't hate people because hate, hating, hatred never ceases by hatred. It's only through love that it's healed. So if you, we knew any better, we wouldn't have these unwholesome tendencies of the mind. And I love actually the words in Pali, uh, the language of the Buddha, for greed, loba, hatred, dosa, and ignorance, moha, loba, dosa, moha. It kind of rolls off the tongue. <laughs> loba, dosa, moha. And what's actually fun about the language of Pali is that if you put a in front of each of these words, so a loba, a dosa, a moha, it negates them. And the negation is not just non-greed, non-hatred, non-ignorance. Is actually the word translates to generosity. Non-greed becomes generosity, giving. Um, adosa is love, friendliness, care. 
and amoha, non-ignorance, becomes wisdom. So, simply if you wanted to distill the cultivation into a simple formula, is to recognize loba dosa moha, greed, hatred, and ignorance, and cultivate aloba adosa amoha, generosity, love, and wisdom. So that's kind of like the distilled, that's the pith teaching. But now I'm going to expand it into, into a lot more, into more details. So the, the expansion actually, um, just to, uh, especially for reference for those of you who um, are familiar with the various lists, the Buddha loved lists. His brain worked, with, just created lists. It happens. I love lists too. My brain works that way also. So I've, I've drawn from two different lists of teachings for this afternoon's um, sharing. And one is lift, uh, from the list of um, the seven uh, factors of awakening, the seven factors of awakening, the wholesome qualities of the mind and heart that we cultivate. Um, and just to say something about that, the seven factors of awakening, some people think that, that those factors only show up when you get really advanced and, you know, really close to awakening. And it's not true. Actually, these factors, um, they become really strengthened, of course, in our experience as the, the more the more practice we have. But we can also see them and recognize them in daily life. They're not so foreign that they're not so far out there. They're here. We can feel them. You've you've probably experienced moments of them on this retreat. So um, I think it's, it serves us well not to think of them as something too far out and something that's, oh, yes, within reach. And so is awakening in various ways. So that's one list I've drawn from. And the, the other list I've drawn from and kind of merged them and or organize them in a different way because they're they're very related and similar in many ways is the list of what's called the paramitas the paramis the 10 paramis the 10 perfections and that these 10 are beautiful qualities of the heart that uh, we cultivate these 10 are um, invitation to, uh, to be um, to be cultivated and the word perfection is um, the, the the translation of the word para, uh, paramita it comes uh, it derives from the word parama in pali which means highest or primary or most excellent so perfection so it's just beautiful qualities of of the heart again like generosity and and patience um and wisdom and and or, so you kind of get a sense so so with that, again, I've drawn them and, and reorganized a little bit so they're not in the traditional order for those who might have it memorized. So the first set of things to cultivate, and, and not just to cultivate, but also will be cultivated as you do this path. It just happens when you're doing this practice. It's kind of integral to doing this practice um, is, is um, mindfulness, right? cultivating mindfulness, being mindful, clearly seeing, being present, maintaining awareness of reality, what's actually happening, not our imagination of what's happening, but actually what is really, really happening in this moment, very simply, 
being mindful, being aware. Um, and that in and of itself, actually, it brightens the mind, brightens the heart. It makes experience much more vivid. Wondering if, if you've had an experience on this retreat where something was more vivid, maybe the food tasted better or something was just like being present was just so rich and juicy. Any Anyone experience that? Yes? Sure. Yeah. It's just that sati, that, that mindfulness at being present. And that actually, it ties into cultivating what's called investigation or um, investigation of the nature of reality. Uh, in Pali, it's dhammavicaya, dhammavicaya, which is curiosity, that sense of curiosity, that gentle curiosity. Oh, what's going on? It's, oh, breath, in-breath, out-breath, or sensation. Oh, what is that sensation? Like, oh, or emotion. Okay, what? where am I feeling the emotion in the body? Instead of getting totally lost in the story, they did this, I said that. Like, Letting that go and just feel, oh, yeah, sadness. Oh, yeah, I feel hurt. Oh, there's heaviness in the body. Oh, or restlessness. Oh, pins and needles. Oh, that's what it feels like. So curiosity about your experience in the present moment. And curiosity is so beautiful to cultivate. It's so beautiful to, to cultivate and to have more of. And just to say, by the way, let me pause and actually say about all of these perfections, about all of these qualities to cultivate. Um, I love what, what the Buddha said, and, and Inez mentioned this yesterday, that um, the Buddha says, whatever you frequently think and ponder upon, that will become the inclination of your mind. That is so powerful. Whatever you frequently think and ponder upon, that will become the inclination of your mind. That is such a powerful statement. I think neuroscientists are like figuring that out now. And I think Buddha was such an awesome, rad neuroscientist. Like that's what it is. Whatever you ponder upon becomes the inclination of your mind. Or as, as, Neuroscientists like to say the neurons that fire together, they wire together. The, the, the connections become stronger. That's how you, that becomes the inclination of your mind. If you get angry often, and if you think about angry thoughts, that becomes the inclination of your mind. It becomes more and more easier for you to fall into anger. If you, if you cultivate metta, friendliness with yourself, with others, Let's say if you cultivate self-compassion and let's say you drop something and instead of going to, oh, you're such a klutz, I hate you. It's like, oh, sweetie, it's okay. It's all right. I know you love that vase. It's okay. Right? Your mind will go to a different destination because the inclination of your mind has been something else. So, so with all of these cultivations, very powerful. So with, with as I was talking about investigation, dhammabhichaya, curiosity, what a beautiful, beautiful quality to cultivate and incline our mind towards it. And together with, related to these is the quality of wisdom, panya, panya paramita, that arises, panya, wisdom, transcendental wisdom or insight insight 
and can be inside with small I or inside with capital I, and they're all related. You've probably had plenty of insights already on this retreat. Wisdom arising, oh, look at that pattern in my mind. Oh, look at that. Isn't that interesting? With curiosity, oh, wow, yeah, I didn't realize I did that. It's been lovely to witness um, your practice and people reporting different insights that have been coming up. Oh, yeah, when my mind quieted it down. I noticed, oh, yeah, that's what's happening. Oh, there's been restlessness or fear or worry. I never noticed that. How cool. How interesting. Insight. I see that now. Because otherwise, we're like marionettes, right? We're being moved by all these strings. Oh, fear is moving us and, you know, restlessness. And But when you actually see the strings, oh, yeah, this is how I behave in the world because of all these strings that are being pulled, you start to have more wisdom. Oh, I see what's happening here. And the more you see the string, the weaker it gets. And one day it kind of fades away and gets cut. Ah, you don't have to behave that way, you know, reactively. You don't get moved that way anymore. And with wisdom, you get to see the pat not just the patterns of your mind, but also you get to see your own goodness. You also get to see your own faults clearly, hopefully non-judgmentally. You know, you get to see them with compassion, with care. Oh yeah, okay. I care for you, and yeah, this is an area that would be nice to to um, to cultivate more. So I'll talk a little more about that. You'll see what's helpful, what's fruitful and what's not. And you hopefully stop believing all your thoughts. You stop believing them because, you know, we tend to believe all our thoughts when they come, as soon as they come. Yep, that's the truth. That's the reality. I don't like it. This is terrible. I went out, whatever it is. Like, I'm like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay. Oh, I hear you. Okay. Thank you. Sometimes just thank you. Or, or the thought might be self-demeaning. You're terrible. You're awful. You're no good. Whoa, 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 whoa. And those we usually actually believe in, and they're really depressing and demeaning. Like, oh, Whereas, oh, okay, well, thank you for your opinion. Uh, you just kind of put them aside. Don't have to believe all your thoughts. That's a great bumper sticker, by the way. I think there has been a bumper sticker. And with wisdom arising, as you practice more and more, you get to see the, the capital I insights also having to do with impermanence, that everything arises and passes away in this life. Everything. That's just the nature of life. And it's okay. You make peace with it. Like this moment, it just passed. This one too, gone. This one gone, 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 gone. It's just like all of these moments that are experienced experiencing together in this room, they're just, it's gone. Impermanence in a very, very deep way in, in, in the, just the intimacy. It's just the way things are, just the nature of things is impermanent and it's okay. And at some point it could be like, whoa, I don't want to go there. But that's just the way things are and making peace with that, making peace, wisdom. And making peace with what's uh, so so the the 
what I'm talking about are what are called the three characteristics or three marks of existence, anicca being impermanence. Dukkha, translated both as suffering but really as unsatisfactoriness, that it's just the nature of things not to be permanently satisfying. They'll be satisfying for a while and then they lose their satisfaction just because that's how things are set up. You know, eating ice cream can be quite satisfying, but have you noticed if you keep eating and eating at some point, it lose, it's not satisfying anymore? And not only that, it turns and you get a stomach ache or it just things, things cannot be satisfying forever because of see rule number one or see the first mark of existence because of impermanence, because things always change. Things always change. You change, things change. There's so much more I can say about this, but I just want to touch into it. And also you see what's called, termed anatta, which is not self. It's, you know, you might have already noticed in your experience that you know, your body, for example, is ungovernable, is not controllable. You know, you can't tell yourself to stay awake through the next talk or through the next, you know, sit. It's ungovernable. It's not, it's not you don't have control there's lack of governability control this this is a process so you, so various insights arise so cultivating cultivating intimacy with reality and insight into what's actually what's really true another set of of um, qualities to cultivate have to do with tranquility and stability, unification of mind. So tranquility, pasadi, uh, the word pasadi in Pali, which is tranquility, calm, just the sense of, ah, the body feels really calm, the mind feels really calm. And you might have touched into that on this retreat just a little bit here and there. And it's kind of nice to actually recognize it. Sometimes um, one might confuse calm for boredom because they might have the same tonal quality, the same way that, say, um, anxiety and excitement might feel the same way in the body, but you might label it differently. So anxiety is like, oh, pins and needles, oh, this is terrible. Whereas oh, excitement, oh, pins and needles, this is exciting, right? It's the same bodily experience, but different labels. Calm and boredom sometimes can be the same things. Like, oh, this is so boring. Oh, guess what? Actually turn your mind to how calm it is, how peaceful it is. Not much is happening. Not many hindrances are present here, are they? Oh, this is good. Right? So, so cultivating, really turning our mind into the goodness of calm, that we don't always need to be entertained or need to, to be checking our email or posting something on Facebook, just the calm, the settleness, how delicious, how satisfying that actually is a mind that is at peace. And related to that is what's called, um, we've used the term concentration, which is a common translation of samadhi, which is really the quality of unification of mind, calming the mind, when the mind is really stable, stability of mind, when the mind is really stable and can see clearly. 
And again, you've probably had touched into some of that where when the mind is more stable and not agitated with, with a million, you know, thoughts, the monkey mind, then you can actually see more clearly, can see more clearly the patterns of the mind. It's almost like cultivating, cultivating samadhi, cultivating this unification of mind. Um, it's like, you know, when you're, um, on the top of the waves in the ocean, they keep bobbing up and down. It's like, wow, it's really, you know, it's really unstable. But if you actually go under the waves, ah, it's calm. You get to see all kinds of fish. Oh, what's, what's swimming here? What's swimming in my mind landscape? What's happening here? So cultivating these beautiful qualities of mind, calm, tranquility, stability, unification, they are so much better than constant tra- uh, constant stimulation and entertainment. And also getting to see the, um, the addictions, getting to see the, um, the temptations of, of how, how the mind gets drawn, um, and gets out of its, its space of calm and tranquility and stability. What gets, what pulls it. So the next set of, of, of gifts to cultivate um, have to do with, um, with morality, with non-harming. Remember the first night we all took the, um, the precepts together, the five precepts, and I invited you to find your own relationship to them. So cultivating, you know, when, when the cup is emptied, uh, from greed, hatred, and confusion, there is more space to to cultivate non-harming moral conduct, ethical conduct, both for our own sake, our own benefit, as well as others. And one of the qualities is honesty or truthfulness, which is one of the paramitas, sacha parami, sacha paramita. And that's a sense of truthfulness and honesty to cultivate through this practice, both honesty to yourself and honesty to others. And internally, honesty to ourselves actually is such a um, important and paramount and um, an integral part of this path because we have to have honesty for ourselves with kindness, of course, but we have to have honesty to see actually what's happening in our minds, in our hearts. Um, It's actually harder, it tends to be harder for us to see our own faults than to see the faults of others. And I had a quote here, let's see if I can access it quickly from the Buddha. I couldn't pull it into my talk for various reasons. No, no connection. Okay, well, it's okay. Later. Um, and um, and also for us to be clear, to, to have a lot of honesty about our own intentionality. It can be quite a practice, actually. Um, Years ago, I was reading this book um, called Difficult Conversations. Anyone familiar with it? It's a great book, yeah, from the Harvard Negotiation Project. And 
it's a Dharma book. If you're not familiar with it, it's a good Dharma book. And there's a part there, this was a long time ago, I was doing this practice, my goodness. Um, and I was reading, there's there's a chapter on, you know, when you're having a difficult conversation, it's really uh, important for you to both separate the impact of, say, the the difficulty that has happened from the intention. So you might have had really good intentions and, whoa, the person was really hurt still. So separating that and seeing the difference. But even more than that, actually having a lot of honesty with yourself about your intentions, which can be really challenging practice. So I, when I read this, it it was surprising to me, like, wow, and had beautiful examples of how we usually think of, oh, we have the best intentions. You know, other people are biased and we're, we have the best intentions and we're right. And there are so psychological reasons why that actually is and why it's so difficult. But anyway, so I took this on as a practice to be really, really honest about my own intentions. And, um, and it was so humbling. It was so humbling and, and very difficult to see. And actually, I don't think I was doing it very, it was early in my practice. I didn't have enough compassion for myself and enough understanding. So it veered off a little bit to like, oh my goodness, <gasps> this is part of my intention. Ouch. Like I was like self-flagellating. Don't do that. Okay. Have a lot of kindness as you, and, and when you're honest about your own intentions, but see it honestly, like, oh yeah, wow. There was a little bit of, uh, in that thing I said, it was, it's okay. Ouch. Okay. I see that. I see that, sweetie. Okay. We can do better next time. Instead of, it's what you did that. So don't do that. Not good. Practice can go off the rails. So, but it can be really a wonderful practice of, um, of humility to really see our own pure intention. Because when you have the kindness and the acceptance, then you can be really honest with yourself. Yeah, that was a mixed motivation. I kind of said, you know, whatever, but yeah, I wasn't totally kind about that. It was, it was, there was something, anyway, your version. So, so cultivating, cultivating, Satcha, cultivating truthfulness, honesty, both externally to others, but especially internally to ourselves. That's so important. So important. Cultivating. What else? What else to cultivate? Cultivating. The next group has to do with, with um, energy, diligence, um, patience, with determination, resolution, and and. These are what, these are qualities, beautiful qualities that get cultivated while you are sitting. As you've noticed, there is virya, energy, diligence, vigor, effort translated. So there is some energy that you've had to put in, hang in there. Virya, hanging in there, hanging in there. Well, I also like the translation as gentle perseverance. You've had to persevere. You're all still here. You've persevered and it hasn't been easy. Anyone has had it really easy for the past two days, every single moment and peachy? No, no takers. Yeah. And you're still here. Yeah. So gentle perseverance, it gets cultivated. You get comfortable with being uncomfortable. I love that line, Ines. Thanks for bringing that yesterday. Being, learning to be uncomfortable with being, un it's not 
comfortable all the times and making space, making space, making more kind space. Yeah, this is really hard. It's hard to be with this. It's hard to be with this. But yet, hanging in there, gentle perseverance. Kanti, parami, translated as patience, tolerance, forbearance, acceptance, endurance. Patient perseverance. I love that word, patient perseverance. Many times you don't get what you want on retreat. You want good experiences, calm, beauty. Instead, you get anger and remember, and, you know, stories and you get assailed by a million thoughts and it's not comfortable and you can't sleep and you're sleepy and ah, patient perseverance, patient perseverance. And also aditanha, which is a beautiful quality that relates to these other two qualities, translated as determination or resolution, which also ties into your intention. When you are clear about your intention, it's easier to have this resolution in aditanha, this determination to be resolved, to have a sense of resolve for your compass to be tuned to true north. And you might go a little you know, west and east, but have that compass. Yeah, resolution, determination. The next set of qualities, I kind of go together in my mind. The qualities of renunciation, letting go, generosity of heart and giving. Because you, your heart needs to let go, open up in order to have generosity. It's actually the same thing. Generosity is letting go. It's a different expression of letting go. So renunciation, nekama parami, renunciation, letting go. Um, and in as beautifully talked about it, so the only thing I will say is, you know, just really feeling, really feeling the heaviness of of hanging on, the heaviness of hanging on to something, the weight that you bear by hanging on, whether it's it's hanging on to some thoughts or memories or beliefs or views or to hurts or to grudges. Uh, letting go, lightening up, ren- renouncing. Another aspect of nekama, this renunciation, is accepting what is offered accepting, saying yes to what is. Um, and I love this saying yes. I, I do improv. Uh, I've done improv for a long time, a couple of decades. And the first rule of improv for those of you who might be familiar is yes. You say yes, yes and, yes and. And that's just such a beautiful um, message for life. You say yes, you say yes and, yes and, instead of no, but. Yes, and just feel that in your body, actually. Okay. In your body, say, yes, and. Yes, and. Okay. And now feel it in your body. No, but. No, but. Oh, how does that feel? You feel it? It's a difference. And to say, actually, for some people, the no, but can make you feel powerful. But, but see that under that power, what is under that for some people? There could be a sense of kind of the vulnerability, um, of, of the fear of, 
of being vulnerable. So one to exert power. Again, I could give a whole talk on that, but I'm going to move on. Just touching into that, leaving that as an exercise for the practitioner to explore. So nekama, renunciation. And then there is chaga. I love this word. It's in Pali. It's generosity of the heart. When the heart is generous, which is different from dana. So dana is a dana param is actually act of giving is generosity of giving something when you actually engage in the act of giving. But chaga is a heart that is generous, is lets go, doesn't keep, is, is a generous, generous heart. So you can think of a, a, a heart that has chaga, this quality, as a heart that, that gives the people the benefit of the doubt. You know, it's the kind of love that, you know, I love you and I let you go because what I want you to be happy. It's that kind of generosity. It's just pure generosity of heart. And dana is the act of giving, which also is giving of oneself, giving of one's resources. And in with with dana, um, there are a few quotes that I found from the Buddha this afternoon that I was actually really enjoying um, contemplating them myself. So I'd like to share them with you about the cultivation of dana, generosity giving. So one is, a noble giver is one who is happy before, during, and after giving. Before giving, they are happy anticipating the opportunity to exercise their generosity. While giving, they are happy that they are making another happy by fulfilling a need. After giving, they are satisfied that they have done a good deed. It's just not beautiful, the reflection on generosity before, during, and after uh, giving. So call cultivating generosity of heart, cultivating just becomes a lot um, more accessible when you actually contemplate your own goodness and contemplate the happiness, the joy before, during, and after an act of giving. A couple more that I like. One says, um, the Buddha compares them, the, the one who righteously earns their wealth and gives of it to a needy person who has both eyes, someone who has both eyes, whereas the one who only earns wealth but does not, but, but does no merit is like a one-eyed man. And the wealthy person who enjoys their riches by themselves without sharing is said to be digging their own grave. Wow, that's a pretty powerful sentence. When I saw that, it's the first time I, I saw that one this afternoon. I was like, wow, that's pretty profound. I like to sit with that one more myself, but I'm going to move on. So metta. So the next groups of cultivation is metta, friendliness, kindness, goodwill, loving kindness. You can never have enough kindness and gentleness in your practice. And by practicing and cultivating actually metta, uh, friendliness, kindness, love, you strengthen the metta muscle. It's like a muscle. You know, your, your mind goes that way instead of going to self-judgment or judgment, judging others or difficulty. Just your mind goes towards kindness. 
And cultivating kindness, compassion, tends to be hard for, harder for ourselves, actually. And especially if you're in a caring profession, there are research studies showing that, that um, it tends to be harder for you if you're in a caring profession. So it makes it even more of a worthy cultivation for you. So cultivating metta, cultivating metta is um, actually not just for others, but it's also really for, for calming, soothing, cultivating your own heart. Um, there was some time ago, actually a few years ago, that I had done a month of uh, meditation, silent meditation myself. And for the whole month, I had done um, metta uh, practice, the cultivation of friendliness, love, the, the, uh, the practices of the heart. And due to not realizing when the retreat was going to end, I actually happened to schedule a talk the day after I came out of retreat, which was not very good. I thought the retreat was going to end a day earlier. Um, and I was actually driving to IMC the morning after I came out of, so I was driving to Redwood City from San Francisco where I was living. And, you know, imagine having been on retreat for a whole month. You know, my mind was really happy and really calm and a little out of it, you know, just kind of like driving for the first time after a long time. Actually, I had driven home, but, but, um, so I was driving and, um, and then, um, I see flashing red and blue lights behind me and, and oh yes, the police. Okay, I pull over. I'm like, okay, what? And and just before that, I, I had turned. Um, the I had to take a right, and the light was yellow. And while I was taking the right, it turned red, which I think I was still okay. But I think the the policeman decided I wasn't. It wasn't okay that I had made an illegal right on red anyway. So. So he stopped me and, and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be late. I'm going to be late for the talk. I'm going to be late. I'm about to give a talk at IMC. You know, I'm due to be there in a few minutes. I'm going to be late. So he takes his time and he's giving me a you know, ticket. I'm like, oh my goodness. So, so since the inclination of my mind was, was practicing metta, this whole month, I just, just like it kicked in. May, may I be well? May you be well? May you're happy? You know, may you be happy? May you be safe? Uh, you know, may your family be well? May you be, you know, happy in uh, heart and mind? And just because I realized in that moment, you know, he's just doing his job. There's no reason for me to be angry or upset. You know, in his mind, I made the wrong turn and he's giving me a ticket. So there's no reason for me to get riled up. So, so it just kicked in this meta, this friendliness for him. May you be well, may you be happy. May you. And I wasn't, of course, saying it out loud. I was just saying it in my own heart. And it was soothing me to, to, to wish him well to, while he was writing me a ticket <laughs> to continue to wish him well. Um, and, um, so that was kind of fun. And I, and, and I was actually a little late for my talk, a few minutes late, and some people had started to leave. And, and, and I came in and I actually started with that story. And I said, guess what happened on the way driving here to give a talk? And, and, um, and 
So, so cultivating metta, cultivating goodwill, cultivating friendliness, um, you never know when it's going to come handy and when it's going to calm you. And I think had that not been the case for me, this cultivation, I would have arrived all upset and all angry and I just got a ticket and I have to give me a Dharma talk, which is kind of, I mean, that wouldn't have been the case anyway, but I'm just making a joke out of it. But, um, you know, your mind can get completely riled up and be an unsafe, become an unsafe neighborhood for yourself. When these things in life come up, they will come up. You will take the wrong turn and you won't, you know, figure out it's about to turn red. It's just like, it's a, these things will happen. How are you going to respond? How is the cultivation of your heart and mind in order to respond to these things? And equanimity. So the last a couple of things I like to talk about in terms of cultivation is equanimity, upekka, which is really the crown jewel of practice, is accepting reality as it is without neither craving nor aversion, neither moving towards it or away from it. It's just a sense of equanimity, which is actually related to freedom, liberation, awakening, just having freedom, not being caught in the conditions. And, you know, when we think of awakening or Nibbana, some people have this idea of like lighting up like a Christmas tree, Nibbana, awakening, it happens after a long, long, you know, maybe it will never happen for me. But actually, the way I like to think about liberation or freedom, I love the word freedom, is it happens in small ways. It happens. It happens gradually over time. And you find more areas of your life where you have more freedom, where you didn't have freedom before. Um, and I love to share a story that someone shared today in the practice meeting. And I asked them if it's okay to share it. So they gave me permission. So, so um, this person was sharing that on a, um, on ret- retreats ago, many retreats ago at, at, um, at IRC, they, uh, they kind of noticed, uh, actually at first they didn't realize that there were bananas in the morning for breakfast. And then at some point they realized that, that, oh, there are not enough bananas. So if I show up early, I can have my whole banana and I need a whole banana. I want a banana all to myself. And then as time went on, you know, they kind of notice, oh, okay, well, I don't need a whole banana. I can be happy with just half a banana or a piece of banana. I can leave it for somebody else. And then they were saying on this retreat, they kind of notice, like, they may get a banana. They may not get a banana. That's perfectly fine. They can have a banana later. So we call that story banana liberation story. kind of a sense of ease, freedom, of not clinging, not having to have. There's equanimity, there's liberation, there's freedom. So freedom can show up in unexpected ways, in unexpected ways when you don't expect it, and in different aspects of your life. And and this is a lovely, sweet story that, that really points to liber- to freedom in so many other areas of one's life. So I promised to, to also talk about the how. So I talked about why. We talked about intention. We talked about what. I talked at length about what. So many different lovely qualities that can be cultivated through this practice. They'll, they will just be 
cultivated. So, and the last thing is how. So how do you go about this cultivation? Well, you have been. <laughs> this is the how. You do this practice. You hang in there. And in fact, what's lovely is that the how and the what are intertwined. It's the same thing. The, the what, like the what of cultivation, cultivating renunciation, cultivating patience, cultivating mindfulness, all of this gets cultivated by actually doing it. So you see the path is, it's, they're not separate. The what is the how. What you cultivate is how you go about cultivating. They're not so separate. For example, you know, in grad school, when I was in grad school, what I was cultivating was in you know, computer science and how ended up being a lot of soft skills of patience, perseverance, hanging in there from the grad school for six years. But here, you know, this, in this graduate school, which is called life, it, what we're cultivating is also how we cultivate it is the same skills. And this is your life's work. It's it's going to be done gradually, slowly. It's not going to happen overnight. It's a gradual cultivation, one moment at a time, patiently, with perseverance, with gentleness, with metta, with kindness. Um, and it's not going to happen like the joke. There was this joke I saw recently that a person says, oh, guess what? I'm in a meditation retreat, and, and uh, my... Our teacher gave us a 45-minute meditation, and I nailed it in 10 minutes. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. So patient perseverance, gradual cultivation. So let's just sit together for a moment. Let the words settle. Thank you for your kind attention. <laughs> 